In the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm sure that many of you may recall Bishop Edward L. Salmon, a great man of God, who served for some 18 years as the 13th Bishop of the Diocese of South Carolina, and who I had the privilege of serving under for six years while he was still a priest in St. Louis, Missouri. And then, of course, here in the diocese as well. Well, Bishop Salmon was known for his many memorable one-liners. One of his most notable ones was this. Effective communication is an exercise in redundancy. Effective communication is an exercise in redundancy. Well, that statement can pertain to your spouse, to your children, your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with. It can also pertain to the preaching of the gospel from this pulpit. In fact, Sunday in and Sunday out, the five clergy who generally occupy this pulpit preach an identical message with great redundancy. It's that Christ came into the world to seek and to save the lost, to die on a cross to forgive us of our sins, to rise again three days later so that we would receive the hope, the promise, the assurance, and certainty of everlasting life. We say it in a different voice. We all look a little different. We use different gestures, but it is the same message. If you want to convey a message that will stick, whether that's for one individual or a whole cadre of people, you might just want to consider repeating it over and over again until finally it sinks in. Well, today's gospel is a great example of this simple fact that effective communication is an exercise in redundancy. I say that because of all the stories in the gospels, this one story, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only story, other than the account of our Lord's resurrection from the dead, that can be found in all four of the Gospels. And why is that? It's that way because this story was so popular among the people and was considered to be such a powerful miracle in our Lord's ministries. It's that popular that all four of the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, could not contain themselves. They simply were compelled to tell this story. What's so compelling about this story is that it is the definitive statement about who Jesus is and what his entire ministry was all about. It defines his character. It reveals his heart of hearts. In one of my favorite movies, one that my wife says I watch far too frequently, The Gladiator. Do you recall that powerful scene where Maximus spared the life of another gladiator? And the entire crowd begins to chant, Maximus, Maximus the Compassionate. Well, in the feeding of the 5,000, it's Jesus, Jesus, who is the Compassionate One. I believe it's always essential to take a good look at the context that surrounds any individual passage that you want to look at in Scripture. Over the course of the past several weeks, we've been following through Mark's Gospel very closely, sequentially moving from one story right on to the next, and seeing just how they're all very integrally related. 
Last week, we heard about Jesus sending out his disciples to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, to cast out demons, to anoint many who were sick with oil and heal them. Sandwiched between Mark's story of Jesus sending out the twelve and today's story, the feeding of the 5,000, there is one very important pivotal event, a story that is not included in the common lectionary. It's the tragic story of the beheading of John the Baptist. John's death was a totally unnecessary death because it occurred at the whim of a young dancing girl named Salome, her conniving mother, Herodias, and a ruthless king named Herod Antipas. When Jesus received the shocking news about John's death, he was utterly devastated, crushed by it. It shook him to the very core of his being. And it's that event that brings us to the story that we just heard from Mark's Gospel. Jesus has been separated from his disciples now for a good bit of time. They just returned from traveling in pairs, two by two, throughout the countryside, and they were simply elated, thrilled to tell Jesus about all that they had accomplished in his name. So naturally, Jesus wants some time alone with them to debrief, and also some time for himself. No doubt they were weary from their journey and longed for some much-needed rest and solitude in the company of Jesus. Jesus was weary too. And he was still deeply saddened. Actually, probably in mourning. Grieving the loss of his beloved cousin, John. So the decision was made to retreat. To steal away. To get some much needed time for rest in a remote, private location where they could get some refreshment and recharge their batteries, as it were. So he says to them, Come away by yourselves, leave the crowd behind, by yourselves to a lonely place and rest for a while. But unfortunately, things didn't work out quite the way they planned, did they? For by now, word about Jesus and the many miracles that he had performed was spreading like wildfire throughout the, Galilee of prov the province of Galilee and beyond. And the crowds were growing in number, multiplying by leaps and bounds, and they were beginning to follow Jesus everywhere he went. In fact, there, were, there was no escaping the crowds. Mark tells us that they even had no leisure to eat. The people persisted. They persisted to press in upon Jesus. And how could you blame them? He'd given them hope. Many of them were sick and ailing. They were hungry, spiritually hungry, and also physically hungry. They needed a word of grace and forgiveness along with the food that they would receive for the nourishment of their bodies. They watched Him. They followed Him. They pushed their way into the front of the crowd. They reached out their hands to Him. They simply wanted to touch the hem of His garment in the hope that He would do some miracle for them like he had done to so many before. But on this particular day, on this day, Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. He's emotionally drained. And he's in search of refuge away 
from these vast crowds. So, climbing into a boat, he and his disciples sail up the shore of the Sea of Galilee, hoping to get away from the crowds. But the crowds follow, trekking along the shoreline, keeping a close eye on the boat out in the lake. And they ran, some others ran to get their friends to see this Jesus of Nazareth. The end result is that when Jesus and his disciples moor their boat, they step into the midst of an even larger crowd, larger than the one that they left behind miles ago. It's not difficult to imagine several realistic responses that Jesus could have had to such a conundrum. He could have turned his back on the crowd. He could have stayed in the boat or even sailed on to another more distant location. He could have told them that he had no more to offer them that day. I'm exhausted. That he was completely drained, had nothing left to give. Or he could have angrily reprimanded them, reminding them that he was just one single person as much in need of rest as all of they were. But Jesus chooses to do none of these. No, instead, instead he responds just like he had always done before. Like Moses and Elijah and Elisha before him, the crowd saw Jesus as a man who is truly sent from God. With every reason in the world to choose anger or resentment or indifference, instead, Jesus chooses to be compassionate. Compassionate. He looks at the crowd and he sees not simply a crowd, but a whole collection of needy people. A woman with a frail, sick child in her arms. A gaunt man with a withered hand and a bad limp. A twenty-something young man with a face full of questions about the meaning, the purpose, and direction of his life. An elderly widow wondering about the state of her health grieving the recent loss of her husband and living in a world of loneliness that never seemed to go away. He may not have had much to offer them just now, but what he has, he gives. He gets out of the boat, Mark tells us, and as he went ashore, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The actual translation of this word of compassion is an interesting one. It's a lot longer than simply one word, compassion. The translation is, his heart went out to them. The J.B. Phillips paraphrase puts it like this. His heart was touched with pity for them. Jesus loved people. And wherever he saw their suffering, their sickness, or their human need, whatever it might have been, his heart went out for them. He experienced pity for them. Frederick Beekner describes compassion as the sometimes fatal capacity to know what it would be like to live inside someone else's skin. The someone fatal capacity to know what it would be like to live inside of another person's skin. Well, that must have been exactly what Jesus was feeling for this massive crowd of people. 
While he had every right to respond with frustration, his response to the burgeoning crowds was to show them compassion, to show them mercy, to teach them, to heal them, to minister to them, and to serve them, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid aside all of his own needs. He laid them aside in favor of theirs. And might I say, just as he does with our human needs. This same Jesus, the compassionate one, sees our needs. His heart goes out to us. And he responds with compassion and mercy. Jesus reveals himself to be the good shepherd for the crowd of people that had followed him that day. First of all, by teaching them. That's how he starts. By providing them with the food of God's gospel. Jesus perceived that what the people really needed was to feed on God's word. So he shepherds them through his teaching of them. It's only because they stay late in the day to listen to his teaching, whereby they're fed on the word of God, fed spiritually, that they will also eventually receive nourishment for their bodies. You'll recall that Jesus once said, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The actual feeding of the 5,000 was shown indeed, namely, through Jesus' actions, what Jesus was teaching through the word, namely, that he will meet the needs of those who hunger for him and who hunger for the word of God and who place their trust in him. And what does he teach them? What was his message to them? Throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, we find this one basic theme, that the Word of God is bread for the people. And it is abundantly present for those who are in close proximity to Jesus. It almost goes without saying that if we are in close proximity to Jesus, we will want to feed on His Word as well. Jesus' words to the crowd and to us are His compassionate response to their lostness and ours. Like sheep without a shepherd, we get lost. We lose our way in life. We go down the wrong road. His words are truly the bread of life for us because He is the bread of life. And whoever believes in Him shall not hunger. In Jesus, the shepherdless meet a shepherd who was not only willing and able to heal them, to comfort them, to mend their deep emotional wounds, but also to hold them accountable for their sinfulness, their sin debt, to forgive them, and to encourage them to place all of their trust in a God who loved them and cared for them as His very own. Why? Because they were His very own. In Jesus, they met the only one who would be able to reconcile them to God, to save them from their sins by His perfect sacrifice, once offered, one oblation for the sins of the whole world. Not only their sins, but ours. In Jesus, we and they meet the loving, compassionate One 
who would willingly offer up his very life to save their lives and ours. One man's life sacrificed for the lives of so many. God so loved the world that he gave. So then first Jesus taught them. Secondly, he fed them. Only after he teaches them does he feed them. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said to him, this is a lonely place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the country and into the villages round about and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus has a better idea. Of course, he always does. One that boomerangs back on his disciples. You give them something to eat, he says. Even if the disciples contributed all the financial resources they had, 200 denarii, which was a lot of money, a denarii was what one would make an entire day's labor, if they'd given all their finances, it wouldn't even make a dent in the purchase of enough food to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and for every man there was probably a woman, and if it was a family there was one or two children, so do the math. 15, 20,000 people possibly. So Jesus makes this inquiry of his disciples. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Five, they say, and two fish. And they recognize that's not nearly enough to meet the challenge that lies directly before them. But when you're with Jesus, just a little can go a long way. So he takes the five loaves and the two fish, blesses them, breaks them up a little bit, and then gives them to his disciples to begin distributing them to the crowds, perhaps with a gesture like, well, what are you waiting for? Stop staring at the crowds and begin serving. Can't you see they're hungry? Feed them. So the disciples waded into the crowds with these meager morsels of bread and fish. And when everyone had finished eating, so as not to let anything go to waste. I don't know about you, but as a child I was taught, waste not, want not. All the leftovers were gathered up. And tell me, how many baskets did they fill? You can answer that. How many baskets did they fill? Twelve. Twelve baskets full. St. Paul reminds us that with God, all things are possible. And St. Augustine reminds us that without God, we cannot. And without us, He will not. Jesus needed His disciples to help carry out His ministry of compassion to these people who were starving. They were starving both spiritually for the bread of life and physically for food in their stomachs. And Jesus wants and needs us to continue to be His hand and his feet, wading out into a sea of humanity, that is, into our community and beyond, with food for the soul, and also providing for the tangible needs of the people as well. All we have to do is bring what we have and present it to Jesus. Once our resources, the ones God gives to us, the ones God provides us with, the one God blesses us with. After all, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. 
once these are placed in Jesus' hands, truly amazing things begin to happen. The gifts are multiplied, and many, many people can be cared for and served in the name of Jesus. What's more is that God promises that there will always be enough, more than enough. There will be leftovers. We'll never run out when we give and give generously to help others and to support the ministry both locally through our home missions like Star Gospel Mission or Tri-County Family Ministries and throughout the world, our world missions like water missions and the missions to the church in Haiti. All of this that we do, we can do through the church. And that's how I strongly suggest and encourage you to do it. The organizations, the ministries that we serve in our outreach, outreach programs here at the church are all Christian ministries. They're all ministries to help people with their tangible needs wherever they may be. So taking our lead from Jesus, the compassionate one, the hungry will always be fed. The sick will be healed. The troubled in mind or spirit will find peace. The lost will receive acceptance and a place of belonging. Those in despair will be given hope. And those who are grieving and lonely will be comforted through us. St. Francis of Assisi once said, It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Our contemporary rendition of this, of course, is, you've all heard it said, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Jesus' words and deeds were inseparable. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, the compassionate one, are our words and our deeds inseparable? Is our faith and our life practice inseparable? In his epistle to the Apostle James, in, in his epistle, the Apostle James writes, Someone will say to you, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. Just as Jesus preached the good news about God's kingdom of grace and mercy for sinful humankind, and then actually did works of compassion, his heart went out to them. We too are to grasp, embrace, and assimilate the good news of God's love and forgiveness into our hearts and then seek to follow where the Good Shepherd leads us. We are to engage in a ministry of compassion for all those around us that we see in need, having been infused by the power of the Holy Spirit, namely the love, the kindness, the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. That is our true calling as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus' contemporary disciples. We are also given the same mandate that he gave to his disciples some 2,000 years ago when he said these words. You heard them in the text this morning. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And when we do, what we give will be multiplied. Many people will be ministered to. And our resources will never run out. And there will be always plenty 
left over. Amen. And now unto God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be ascribed as is most justly due, all might, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forevermore. Amen.